Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We are monitoring what's happening in the Senate and in the House at this hour. Obviously, they are uh, reintroducing their legal duties to certify the electoral votes from the states. Now, we're taking this moment to pause. We are monitoring, and as anything that is said is operative in terms of the state of debate, we'll go right to it. But Senator Hawley of Missouri deserves a moment of pause. The Kansas City Star, his home state paper, said today that he has blood on his hands for the insurrection attempt that we saw today. That but for him, it may not have happened because we may not have had the level of controversy during this procedure that we're having. Now, what is the basis of the case against Hawley? Let's look at it in reverse and it'll be more clear. Hawley's case is this. What happened in Pennsylvania, not his state, okay, but that's okay, is wrong. And they never had any chance. This all just happened unchecked so that the Senate, this final forum, is the only place and the proper forum to address that. Now, first you have the law. The forum that they have right now is not for the litigation of state issues with their election. It was born out of a time when the Congress was blindsided by states sending in competing slates of electors. And there was nothing in the Constitution or in federal law at that time to deal with it. They didn't know what to do in 1870, whatever, too. So they had to come up with rules where they could object to the certifications of those electoral slates. They needed a process. But it was not to go through any type of litigation of what happened in states in the certification process, in the election process that they are responsible for. Then you get to the facts. In Pennsylvania, he says they never got to hear it. That's not true. This was an animal of that legislature. It was tested by that state's Supreme Court, and it was found lacking for federal review. Those are three levels, three levels of looking through this situation by the state. So he doesn't have the law and he doesn't have the facts, but I'll tell you what he does have. He's got a place in history after what happened today and for what he's trying to do on the congressional floor of the Senate right now. Let's bring in David Gregory, Michael Smirkanish. Smirk, home state, Pennsylvania. Uh, you're an officer of the court there. Your reckoning of what Senator Hawley is saying that um, it has to be done here because Pennsylvanians never got a chance to review these matters that controlled their election. I think it's totally belied by the facts. As you've already laid out, these issues were extensively litigated in the state court system and in the federal system. And I think most significantly were cast aside by judges, including one in the Third Circuit of Pennsylvania, the appellate court just below the Supreme Court of the United States, who was a Donald J. Trump appointee. So it, it, it makes for great sound bites. And I paid particular attention, Chris, to when he said, hey, we're not talking about fraud. Part of this continuing disconnect between that which the president has said in social media, that which Rudy Giuliani has said in the court of public opinion, but not that which has been litigated. And that disconnect between the two is something that stunned me for the last two months. So, David, then it comes to what the political play is here, because he has to know what Smirk and I are discussing. Um, by all accounts, uh, he is an intelligent man. Uh, the focus of stupidity here seems to be what he projects onto the people who are hearing him, that they're dumb enough to buy this. What is his political play that is worth what happened today? 
Well, let me just back up for a second and ask this question. Who is Josh Hawley to question the wisdom of the Supreme Court of the United States, which decided not to intervene? Who is Josh Hawley to weaponize his education and his experience as a clerk at the Supreme Court? to suggest that this is the place to overturn the will of the people, that is not the job. His own colleague knows better. Rand Paul, I heard on Fox News earlier tonight, very astutely pointing out that this is not a protest. It's not an objection. It's an attempt for Congress to overturn the will of the states. His political play is plain. I think he wants to be president one day. And he made a calculation in his very ambitious way that he was going to try to stay close to Donald Trump and to Trumpism, whether it's truthful or not, and write it as far as he could. And he is accountable in part for what he has wrought and for what all of these lies have wrought, and that is the events of today. That is what's plain. If you want to be serious, if you want to get an, ele- be an elected representative of the United States and you want to be serious, then you can take up after an election that has been certified. And you can take it up with the state legislatures. I thought he was a Republican and believed in states' rights. Go lobby the state legislature about making changes about when you can have solicited ballots. Don't presume to lie to the American people about that's the place on the floor of the Senate to do it. Who is he to to be a usurper of this way? Michael, what do you make of the move of him sticking to his guns even after today? As we've been watching tonight, one of the most notable things is that even the people that I call Retrumplicans who have abandoned what they're supposed to be about as members of the GOP in fealty to Trump, they're sounding a lot more rational tonight, Um, but not him. Now, let's get an example of it in real time. Here's Senator Mitt Romney, one of the first and only Republican voices to condemn the events of today as being on Trump's head. As a place of hope. And I saw the images being broadcast around the world, and it breaks my heart. I have 25 grandchildren. Many of them were watching TV, thinking about this building, whether their grandpa was okay. I knew I was okay. I must tell you as well, I was proud to serve with these men and women. This is an extraordinary group of people. I'm proud to be a member of the United States Senate and meet with people of integrity as we do here today. Now we gather due to a selfish man's injured pride and the outrage of supporters who he has deliberately misinformed for the past two months and stirred to action this very morning. What happened here today was an insurrection incited by the President of the United States. Those who choose to continue to support his dangerous gambit by objecting to the results of a legitimate democratic election will forever be seen as being complicit in an unprecedented attack against our democracy. Fairly or not, they'll be remembered for their role in this shameful episode in American history. That will be their legacy. I salute Senator Langford and Leffler and Braun and Danes, and I'm sure others, who in the light of today's outrage have withdrawn their objection. For any who remain insistent on an audit in order to satisfy the many people who believe that the election was stolen, I'd offer this perspective. No congressional audit is ever going to convince these voters, particularly when the president will continue to say that the election was stolen. The best way we can show respect 
for the voters who are upset is by telling them the truth. That's the burden. That's the duty of leadership. The truth is that President-elect Biden won the election. President Trump lost. I've had that experience myself. It's no fun. <laughs> Scores of courts, the president's own attorney general, state election officials, both Republican and Democrat, have reached that unequivocal decision. And in light of today's sad circumstances, I asked my colleague, do we weigh our own political fortunes more heavily than we weigh the strength of our republic, the strength of our democracy, and the cause of freedom? What's the weight of personal acclaim compared to the weight of conscience? Leader McConnell said that the vote today is the most important in his 36 years of public service. Think of that. Authorizing two wars, voting on two impeachments. He said that not because the vote reveals something about the election, it's because this vote reveals something about us. I urge my colleagues to move forward with completing the electoral count, to refrain from further objections, and to unanimously affirm the legitimacy of the presidential election. Thank you, Mr. President. Democratic leader. Senator from New Hampshire, Senator Shaheen. Senator from New Hampshire. Mr. President, on January 3rd, I, along with 31 of my colleagues, stood in this chamber and swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. It's both Take a break from Senator Gene Shaheen. Again, we are monitoring what's happening in the Senate. The House is having its own concurrent uh, roll call and debate there. They say they're going to end the work of their constitutional duty tonight. Michael, um, Mitt Romney came up and made the point that we were circling around, which is how Hawley and Cruz and others will be remembered. And he used the words as complicit in today's shameful events. Your take. I agree with him. And may I say that although I don't agree with Senator Romney on a whole host of issues, I admire his sense of decorum and civility. And I, I'll bet you know this, Chris, but it bears repeating Famously, he flies alone and in coach. And when he did so yesterday, last night, to go from Salt Lake to Washington, he had people in his face chanting, traitor, traitor, traitor. And I worry about people who watch an incident like that, hear of it, maybe are inclined to be in public service and say, why would I subject myself to that? We need more people with a sense of civility like Senator Romney, and we can't afford them to be chased out of the public arena. Now, David, um, we're, we've heard many of our colleagues today saying the events were surreal, unimaginable. I disagree. I think it was all too real. I think right. this is where we are, and we've been blind to it, um, many of us who don't get to travel around the country a lot. Um, this is who we are. There are a lot of people uh, who believe with what those people were thinking and doing today at the Capitol. The question is, does this mark a beginning or an end for this country? 
Well, I, look, I think there is some positive to take out of tonight. I think the speeches we're hearing on the floor of the House and the Senate are very important tonight. Uh, Mitt Romney, uh, prominent among them, and there have been others, Republicans and Democrats. But only Democrats were only Democrats were clapping for Romney, I'm told, by the control room. When they started clapping okay. for him, we wanted to know who. It wasn't his own party. Keep going. Yeah. Nevertheless, Republicans and Democrats have made some very important points on a day that was being built up as a lot of theater and a lot of nonsense, and people have taken stock. I try to be more positive after the events of today, where I think Republicans have an opportunity to reflect on the path that they're headed down. Uh, I don't think even those who were, uh, you know, who had nurse grievances, who were pro-Trump, I don't think this crowd, this mob today is reflective of them. I don't think people would resort to violence. These were people who were particularly whipped up and vulnerable to this president's message, who went out of his way to tell them to take that anger to the Capitol. And that was wrong. Michael, let me get a quick let me get a quick button from you. And then I want to go to Jim Acosta about what's happening in the White House. And just to be clear, I'm not saying a beginning or end of our country. I'm saying a beginning of this kind of phase of chaotic uh, mobocracy. Or will this be an end point where we pivot to something better? Yeah, but I'm, I'm really angry about something. I'm angry about a lot of things. One of them is this was not a sneak attack executed against drinking Hessians on Christmas. This was totally predictable. This was incited. And Chris, this could have been catastrophic. I mean, if those folks burst into the Capitol armed with automatic weapons instead of Gadsden flags, we would have a catastrophe on our hands. And how the hell the Capitol was able to be breached really requires some some investigation. And I'll tell you, I say God forbid because that's what we had to leave it to today because they either weren't ready And there are also some deeper questions. The video of them letting people through barricades, taking selfies with some of the protesters. You know, you've heard a lot of people, especially minorities today, saying, would it have been the same if they were black people rushing? And then they're saying, oh, yeah, they were black. They're all Antifa people. It's all BS. And we know it would have been different if they were black. And that's part of the poison that's in this country right now. Let me get to Jim Acosta. I'm going to need you guys, though, because I think there's going to be some reporting coming out of him that we have to analyze. Jim. Uh, Jim Acosta is at the White House. Word that people in the cabinet, there are concerns. Uh, Do you hear this? And if so, to what extent? Yeah, Chris, and I I think there's a lot to analyze uh, about all of this, and I'll try to walk through it as as best as I can. But I'm hearing from a well-placed Republican source that there have been some preliminary conversations going on inside the cabinet among some cabinet members about invoking the 25th Amendment of the Constitution to force the removal of President Trump from office. Now, that is a dramatic step. It's never been taken before, uh, and it's something that hasn't really been contemplated until uh, really today uh, with the events that we saw unfolding up on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, I am told that uh, this talk of using the 25th Amendment to force President Trump from office has reached Capitol Hill. There are some uh, Republican senators who have been uh, briefed on this, who understand that these discussions are taking place. And so word is spreading that this may end up happening now. Uh, there, the process is is complicated, uh, Chris. The vice president and a majority of the cabinet would have to determine that the president is unable to carry out the duties of his office. The president could contest that, and then it would go to the Congress, and you would need, I think, a two-thirds vote in each uh, house, uh, in the House and the Senate, for the president to be removed from office. That's, That's right. obviously a tall order, given the makeup of the Senate. As we speak, we saw with the impeachment trial of President Trump, there are you know, very few, if any, Republican Senate 
senators who were willing to throw the president out of office, Mitt Romney essentially being the only one. So getting to two thirds is not likely to happen. I will tell you, though, the president's mental state is, has also come up in talking to my sources. Talk to a, a Trump advisor who speaks with the president uh, frequently, who said that the president has lost it. He's lost it is the, are the words used by this advisor. And I talked to a separate source uh, close to the White House earlier this evening who, sa- who says that the president is being uh, seen by staff members as being, quote, unstable and ranting and raving. So, Chris, there are serious questions about the pre- president's mental state. I take no pleasure as a reporter over here at the White House in reporting that. But that is the fact of the matter. It appears this evening from talking to my sources, there are questions about the president's mental state and now discussions about whether or not, you know, the cabinet should invoke the 25th Amendment, along with the vice president, Mike Pence, a process that would make Mike Pence president of the United States. But again, a process that is ultimately not likely to pan out with the removal of President Trump from office if he fights it. Right. And there are also uh, some periods at play within uh, the statutory language of the amendment. Uh, How much time Congress would have, how much time the president would have. Exactly. I don't know that it would wind up being relevant, even if it's feasible, given how much time is left. But it is indicative of the mindset of what's happening in and around the people at the White House. So, Jim, thank you very much. Get in my ear if you have anything else. Right now, I want to jump to Caitlin Collins. Because while a move on the president uh, doesn't seem as likely, Caitlin is hearing about something that is more likely, which is people making a decision that now is the time to step away and try to somehow salvage their reputation before they go down in the ignominy of the legacy of this president. Caitlin, what are you hearing? Well, Chris, it's going to raise questions if they can do that, what difference it makes resigning when there are only two weeks left. But we do now have at least two staffers who have resigned in wake of what happened today. And the president's response is directly responsible for that. But we are now learning that a several high-ranking officials are now considering resigning. And that includes the National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien, who is incredibly close to the president, typically a pretty big ally of his. And we got an indication something was going on with that relationship earlier today because as O'Brien came out in support of the vice president, putting out a statement, calling him courageous, praising what he did today and saying that he is a good man that O'Brien has known for some time. And of course, that comes as the president has been complaining about Pence all day, but also the deputy national security advisor, Matt Pottinger, who played a key role in the response to the pandemic at the beginning. He was the one urging people in the West Wing to wear masks when nobody was. He is also considering resigning. We're actually told that his resignation could come as soon as tonight. And then a third top official, it's the deputy chief of staff, Chris Liddell, is also considering resigning. So those are three officials that we know their names that are considering resigning, but we have several others that we are working on reporting that are also considering resigning. And of course, if they ultimately do, the question is going to be, you know, why was this what drove you to eventually resign from your job in Donald Trump's White House when there's only a few weeks left, given everything else that has happened over the last four years? But Chris, tonight, people inside the West Wing are genuinely shaken by this. They're shaken by the president's behavior, how he has responded. We reported earlier that he was reluctant to deploy the National Guard to that situation you saw unfolding on Capitol Hill, even as officers there were being overwhelmed by the president's own supporters going in and breaching the building. And so it's behavior like that. And then the president's latest tweet, you know, defending those that mob saying that, you know, this is what happens when you steal an election. It's that kind of behavior that is behind the resignations that are currently being talked about and the ones that we could get. And we should note they are expecting a lot of them could come over the next several days. 
Caitlin, thank you very much. You hear anything else, you know how to get right to me. I'll come right back to you. Let's go back to Michael Smirkanish and David Gregory. Unpack both of these quickly while monitoring what's happening on the floor of the Senate and the House. Remember, we're getting through the speeches uh, so that we can get to the actual uh, votes about the certification of the state, see if there are any other objections. We'll take it on. First, uh, the 25th Amendment. Uh, Smirk, do you see this as likely? I don't see it as likely, but I have to be open to the prospect for this reason. When the 25th Amendment has come up previously on this president's watch, I've always answered by saying, well, of course, Mike Pence is never going along with that. But today was a turning point, right? I mean, today was the day that the president threw via Twitter the vice president multiple times under the bus. So what might be the vice president's mindset tonight? Probably a lot different than it's been for the last four years. Hmm. Resignations, David, what would they mean? I don't think very much at this point. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that I've talked to who have served in this administration who are now out, who are trying to build the case that if they weren't there, things could have been a lot worse. Well, very difficult to argue. At this late stage, uh, people may be legitimately horrified by the president's words and his actions today. Um, But at this point, uh, it's just a chaotic end of an administration that is in tatters and has been uh, and stained really from the beginning. So I don't think people will put much stock in it. And I don't think that Republican leaders are looking for any more drama right now. You know, Democrats are going to take over the Congress. They're going to assume the presidency. I think this is a a night of some reflection on the part of Republican leaders who recognize the peril therein politically, but the damage that was done to our country. You know, I I covered 9-11 as you did, and part of that was a failure of imagination of our vulnerability as a country. That vulnerability is there as a democracy as well. It's also incredibly resilient. We're seeing both ends of that today, and we got to kind of sit with that before we leap to, to the next round of what may just be speculation. All right, brothers, hold on a second. We have a former Congress member, Will Hurd uh, from Texas, who put out a very strong statement. Um, It is good to see you. I hope you and the family are well. Uh, What was your sense of why today happened? Look, uh, today happened because a number of our elected leaders um, incentivized this, this behavior. And you know, poured gasoline on on a problem. And and one of the things that I learned, you know, I, look, what what's shocking to, to to me in all this is is my time overseas. You know, I spent about a decade as an undercover officer in the CIA. I've been at embassies that were overrun, blown up. Um, I never would have expected I saw the spectacle um, today in 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 Washington D.C. And for for any kids that may be watching, right, staying up late with their parents, this this is not how we settle our differences in in the United States of America. And and, and the fact that there are some of those people that were there that actually believe some of these conspiracy theories and that is being pushed uh, by the president and some of the people that are enabling him um, is 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 scary. And and let's put politics aside. Right. Be honest and do the right thing, 
right? We, we know, let's take Georgia. Georgia, there was three counts. One of them was, was counted by hand. Um, some of these same people that are questioning whether there was, um, you know, we need to rethink the, the election and, con and, and, and the Senate needs to have a 10-day um, commission to look at things. These are some of the same people that were against adding money to the Department of Homeland Security to defend the digital infrastructure after the 2016 election, Strong when we point. know the Russians tried to get in, in into the election. So, so, so this is you know, be honest with the right thing, but also politically, guess what? Every republic, almost every Republican that won in 2020 outperformed Donald Trump. Right. Donald Trump was a a, a drain on people, uh, not a benefit. So why are you continuing to think? that somehow in 2022, um, this is gonna be a good thing. And so let's stop trying to pursue our own political agenda. And when we put our hand on our heart and, and pledge allegiance to the flag, it's for the flag of the United States of America. We don't pledge allegiance to a man or an individual. That's what makes our, our, our country great. And, and I will say this, Chris, the one thing I do know about America is that in times of crisis, we know how to band together and come together. And, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that glimmer at the, on the Senate floor and the House floor. And I hope we all are able to step back and recognize that what is happening is we're be becoming a joke around the world. I've had friends from all over the, uh, all over the world text me and be like, what's going on? The fact that the, the, the president of Turkey yeah. is putting out tweets saying, you know, hey, we need a caution, you know, working together. Uh, people in Venezuela are doing the same thing. Our enemies are taking advantage of this. But we have to step back and also think, why do some of these people believe this? How do we address this? How do we rebuild that trust right. that many Americans ha have lost? Well, you know this. Transparency builds trust uh, that is based on truth. You know these things. You were a fair broker uh, when you were in the House. And again, as it was on the bottom of the screen before, Will Hurd uh, was a member of Congress representing Texas. Now, uh, two questions. One is a point of pushback. Um, the counter argument is, well, this is who we are. This is how we're settling things. This is what Trump has engendered with the help of many men and women in your party. Smart members of your party, Cruz, Hawley, Supreme Court clerks, smart men who are pushing bad arguments that they have to know are bad, fomenting tensions. What ownership must your party have, the what party I've started calling the Retrumplicans, that they must own for what led up to today? They contributed to today. There's, there's no doubt about it. Look, I, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. My, my degree is in computer science. But I think at, at the top of the hour, you were talking about what's happening in Pennsylvania. And why is a senator from Missouri uh, questioning what's happening in Pennsylvania when it's already gone through those processes? Oh, also, by the way, I thought our beliefs was you know, states' rights and that mm -hmm. the states, you know, have this ability in order to conduct their elections and use their legal system in order to reply, in order to review that. And they both know that there is not, Congress can't do anything in 10 days. If they're going to do a 10-day commission to look into some of these things, that's not the, the place where you have those those debates. So why do you think and they're so doing it? you contribute it. Uh, look, I think it's politically, right? They think that this is going to gain them some some political clout with with uh, some future voters, right? And and look, you know, the the part of being in being a leader, right, is explaining and, and and being honest, right, and and being committed to some ideals. And we need to have national leaders that inspire 
not fear monger or incite violence, right? And that's where I believe that, you know, and I'm gonna push back on you, Chris. Go ahead. This is not what we saw happen in this afternoon in, in, in the Capitol. That's not what America's about. That's a handful of the French, right? And what America is about is, is when you crisscross this, this country, 80% of Americans, uh, when they put their hand on, on their chest and, and they, they, they love this country, they know what it's about. Uh, they wanna make sure that we have checks and, and balances. They believe that you know, uh, the ends don't justify the means. Uh, they wanna love their neighbor uh, like, their, like themselves, right? That, that's where real America is, but, but guess what? That's not sexy. That doesn't get clicks, right? It doesn't create interesting conversations on, on, on late night news. Um, but, but that is where we need to encourage that kind of behavior. And that's why I love this country. And I still believe that our, our best days are ahead of us and that this is a moment for us to reflect. Right, look, I agree with you. As long as we let today live in infamy and hold the people to account who fomented this, because people may want to have their hand in the heart and love each other. But when you start lying to them for weeks and months and years on end, and it gets backed up everywhere you go by people who nod their heads when they know you're full of it, this is what we get. Now, there's one other quick question, Will, and then I want to get back to the floor. And thank you for being with us. The security today. How did they not know? How are they not set up? Why am I seeing footage of security letting people through barriers and taking selfies with protesters? Do you think this was about giving a pass to people because they were white or because they were for Trump? Because we would have never seen this at any of the riots that I've been to recently. Well, I think one of the last Black Lives Matters um, protests, you had helicopters circling uh, Washington, D.C. I, I can't speak to the tactics, techniques, and procedures that was used today. Um, this was, you should have known yesterday when you had, there was protests around Washington, D.C., um, around this. You knew that if the president was going to kick off a rally and have everybody march down to the Capitol, uh, that this was going to be a problem. You should have been on notice. Um, you should have had the D.C. police ready to go. There's going to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking, but I will say this. I'm glad they got the situation under control so that Congress can finish their job. Absolutely. Finish that job tonight in in order to show that a mob, that violence is not gonna stop us and is not, can't stop democracy. But there should be a lot of questions being asked. And and think about all those new members. This is day four. Mm -hmm. Think about those new staffers that are bushy-tailed and bright-eyed and excited to be there. And they're, they don't even know where the restrooms are. Right. And, and so, so imagine that that was going on. And these, these questions should be asked um, so we don't allow something like this to happen um, in, in, in the future. And, and we also got to make sure we get through uh, the rest of the week. <laughs> That's right. Let's try to get through the rest of the week. Hey, Will, look, God bless. We're in a position to have uh, Congress seated again and doing their job after a day like today. That does show resilience that hopefully adds to the promise uh, going forward. Will Hurd, best to you. You're always welcome here. Thank now, you, brother. Happy ba- New Year. Happy New Year. Ba- Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.